wouldn't have been wonderful tonight. The whole conference has been excellent. Praise the Lord for his goodness and his blessings. Uh, they sang that song during our national conference, and I'm telling you, God settled in and breathed through that place. Yeah. That and um, another song, maybe old-fashioned, but it's real. And uh, uh, what a wonderful uh, family tonight. I'm very, very grateful for them. I kind of feel like the guy that took his mule to the Kentucky Derby and unloaded him, and everybody was laughing, making fun of him. And he said, you don't expect him to win anything, do you? He said, no, really, I don't. But look what kind of company he'll be in while he's here. And uh, can I feel like the mule at the Kentucky Derby tonight? If you have your Bible tonight, let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. I don't know that I'll be here on Thursday night, but I do believe the Lord wants us to go here once again for this evening. I quoted a verse or a quote that was given some time ago, a professor to his class. He made the statement, he said, today you carry your Bible, but there will come a day where the Bible will carry you. And I believe that in the day and age we live, we need the Bible to carry us. In this day and age we live. If you have your Bible, please, in Hebrews chapter 11, I have one verse tonight. If we can stand in reverence to the reading of the scriptures. We preached on the patriarch Abraham on Sunday morning and the hallmark of his faith, and we found that faith demands obedience. We found that Hebrews chapter number 11 is the most exhaustive chapter in the Bible dealing with the subject matter of faith. It is a collection of all the great acts of faith that is done from the book of Genesis through the closing book of the book of Revelation. And God has compiled it all together in one chapter, the book of Hebrews. And tonight, I want to look at one passage of Scripture in verse number 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. I pray that you'll take this text and God may you burn it deep into our hearts. Thank you for the wonderful message we've already heard tonight, and God, for challenging our own lives. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people and the church tonight, and I thank you for our pastor. Thank you for every missionary and evangelist and man of God that is here tonight. I pray now that you'll meet with us. May you do your work, have your will and your way in our lives, and we'll thank you in Christ's name. You may be seated. As we consider this passage of Scripture, we find, of course, the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. They have been able to accomplish great feats for the glory of God. God has blessed them in a tremendous way. The Bible has much to say about Abraham. In fact, the name Abram is mentioned 50 times in scriptures. Abraham's name is mentioned 230 times in scripture, bringing it to a total of 280 times that his name is referenced in God's divine book. Jacob, not counting Israel when God changed his name, but just the name Jacob, God refers to him 345 times in the pages of God's divine book. But contrary to Abraham and Jacob, we find that Isaac's name is only mentioned 123 times in the pages of the Bible. Never is Isaac's name mentioned as a standalone statement outside of the verse that we've read in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 20. And even in this passage of scripture, 
we find that his name is used in conjunction in Hebrews 11 with Abraham, the great patriarch. We find that his life, unlike Jacob's and unlike Abraham's, is not as exciting. We don't find him making war and battle. We do not find Isaac accomplishing some of the great feats that others accomplished in the scriptures. It seems as if Isaac's life is kind of, could I just use a, a modern day word or term for the life of Isaac? I would say that to this generation today that it would appear that Isaac's life is just bland or mundane in comparison to Abraham and Jacob. We find that his is a life of yielding. We do not find that he is a great warrior. He is not on the forefront most of the time in his life. Most of the time he chooses to yield and to suffer rather than being aggressive in his nature. We find that he is uh, mentioned, as I said, in conjunction with Abraham in almost every text with exception of Hebrews 11 and verse number 20. His name is always not only used in conjunction with Abraham, it is weaved into the story of the life of Abraham. But here we have the single passage of Scripture that stands alone of the life of Isaac. And the Bible simply says in this passage of Scripture, though his name is referenced earlier in the life of Abraham, but here he simply says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things are concerning things to come. Notice, if you would please, in this passage of Scripture, that the Bible said when he blessed Jacob and Esau, he blessed them concerning things to come. And this gives us insight into the characteristic of Isaac's faith. Where Abraham's faith demanded obedience, we find that Isaac's faith demands patience. For he shall live his life looking for that which will come even beyond his own life. Much like Abraham who was called to go out into a place where the Bible said he had never gone before and he stepped out in obedience and faith is not a leap into the darkness, it is a leap into the light of God's divine promises in the book, the Bible, the Word of God. It is the substance of faith, as we said the other day. I want to very briefly tonight uh, look at the life of Isaac, and I believe that just as Abraham's life of obedience fits in the uh, scene of world missions and evangelization, I also believe that the life of Isaac fits in the scene of world missions and evangelization. Let's look at some of the things that briefly uh, impacted his life and changed it. And I'll move very briefly tonight by the grace of God uh, through that which I have. He was born, for example, against impossible odds. We find that Abraham was 100 years old and we find that Sarah was 90 years old. And the birth of Isaac was miraculous. He was born by impossible odds. And so we find that God, when he brought him into the world, that God performed a miracle in the life of Isaac. He was not a mistake. He was the divine providence of Almighty God. We find that 
uh, Ishmael when uh, Abraham had set a celebration for the time when Isaac was weaned from his mother. He set a time of celebration and Esau mocked him. And this is part of the testing and the trials and the uh, patience that God is going to build into his life and his character. We find that as a result of that, Ishmael is sent out in Hagar, and we find that the attention was placed at that point upon Isaac. And then we find that in Genesis 22, that Isaac went with his father Abraham there to Mount Moriah, and he would carry the wood that would be uh, consuming him as a sacrifice before God. Can you put yourself in Isaac's place tonight? We hear much of the preaching of the faith of Abraham putting Isaac upon the altar. But put your place in the stead of Isaac tonight. Walking up Mount Moriah, carrying the wood and the fire, and not knowing for sure of what the sacrifice is going to be. And know that when he gets to Mount Moriah and he's there going to be offered as a sacrifice, we do not find we rebelled against his father. We do not find we rebelled against God's will. We do not find that he was a rebellious young man. He willingly laid himself on the altar to be sacrificed. I'd say to you tonight as we briefly look at his life, and I'll get to the main point momentarily, but as we look at his life, the life of Isaac, I would say to you that his life is a life of patience. God is going to put him through certain testings as he did Abraham to bring him to a place that his life will be steady, that his life will be consistent, that his life will have some permanency and stability. When God brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he put them through four symbolic types of death. And I believe that as we've already heard it preached tonight, that we must come to the place that we are willing to die to ourselves and our own will in order for God to use us. Israel died a symbolic death at the Red Sea as they crossed over. It was a type of the death, a death to the world. And God knows that we need some uh, Christians today that are willing to die to the world to die to the ambitions of the world, to die to the goals of the world. We need some death to this world. They crossed over the River Jordan, and it was a type of death of the old wilderness and the old lifestyle. And then there was the circumcision, which was a symbolic method of the death to the flesh. And then Joshua's vision, and the captain of the Lord's host, we find that it was a, a death of self-will and self-ambition. And it was to be used of God in the life of Israel. And I want to say this tonight, if you're sitting here, and it seems like that God has impressed on my heart tonight, not just to address the church and those that are here, but specifically the young folk that are here tonight. And I want to say to you tonight, that if you want God to use you, 
You've got to come to the place that you're willing to die and lay on the altar your life, your will, your ambitions, your goals, your desires, your dreams and hopes and your life and lay them on the altar and allow God to infill in your heart and to put in your mind and soul that which God has for you in the days ahead. God will direct our path. God will give us leadance and guidance in our life, but only through the path of death. Death to the world. Death to the world's cares. Death to self-ambitions and self-desires. Faith began, someone has said, where resources end. But I would like to say tonight that faith begins where our self-reliance and resources end. For we cannot have faith and rely upon our own strength, our own ability, our own uh, talents that God has given to us. The Bible said that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. And what he literally means by this is that he committed them into the will of God, the promise of God. Jacob to the covenant of God and Esau to the blessings that had been bestowed upon him on that day when he came in from the field and wanted his father to bless him. Both Jacob and Esau were blessed tremendously in their possessions, but God tempered Isaac with a testing that produced patience. There's not a missionary sitting here in this auditorium tonight there is not a Christian, there is not a preacher, there is not an evangelist that if we do anything great for God to what it is required that we have patience. James 1.4, the Bible says, let patience have her perfect work. And so the Bible said he blessed them of things to come. That was his faith. That was the uh, inheritance. He was the inheritor of that which God had given Abraham, passed down to him, and is giving it to Esau and Jacob. Faith requires patience. But I want to say this tonight. I heard Lester Olaf say some years ago, never doubt in the night what God gives to you in the light. And I only heard him preach one time. I believe I may have shared it here uh, sometime back, maybe a couple of years or so ago. But I'd gotten saved, and I was at the Dogwood Valley Baptist Church, and uh, Brother Roloff had come in, and he was preaching, and I hadn't been saved very long, preacher. I'd just newly converted to the Lord, and uh, God had uh, saved me, and my life had changed. And uh, Brother Barker, I had long hair, and I got it cut about shoulder length, and Pastor uh, kept on at me until I finally... Got to cut the way it is tonight. But I had uh, went out and bought a white suit and had a, a little bit of rope around the side of it. And I walked in, and I didn't have a fro, okay? But I walked into the church that night, and I had, I didn't have high heel shoes, but I had platform shoes. And at least that's what they called them, all right? And I'm sitting on the front row, and I'm proud as a peacock. And Brother Olaf is in the middle of his message and his sermon, and he looked down and saw me. And just like that, he started preaching on sissy boys wearing white suits and high heel shoes. And he was looking at me, so I knew he was talking about me. 
And I couldn't get my feet underneath that pew uh, far enough, and I went home, and I uh, took that suit off, and I threw it away, and I threw my platform shoes away. You said, what does all that have to do with patience? It doesn't have anything to do with it. I just thought about it, amen? <clears throat> For a Christian to have full, mature faith, they must have patience. In order to obtain the conditional promises of God, we must have patience to wait upon God. Patience to allow God to bring to pass that which God has promised us in our ministries and our homes and in our families and in our lives. Brother Chamberlain is with me tonight and he could testify to the, uh, what I'm about to say. He was in my office when I spoke to someone some years ago. And they were struggling with doubt. They doubted everything that came along. They were doubting the call of God on their ministry. They were doubting the call of God on their preaching. They were doubting the call of God upon their call to the Rock of Ages ministries. They were doubting the call of God upon their future in the ministry. And jokingly, I said to him, I said, Brother, how were you when you was born? And he said, well, I was newborn. And I said, that's it. I said, uh, uh, do you remember uh, that day? He said, no. I said, then how do you even know you was born of your mother? And Brother Chamberlain's my witness. He said, well, I don't know. Maybe she's not really my mother. <laughs> Am I telling the truth, Brother Chamberlain? Raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. He didn't last too long. It requires patience to fulfill the call of God upon our lives. Isaac had died to himself on Mount Moriah when Abraham had taken him there to offer him as a sacrifice. And as he laid him out, uh, he has no rebellion. He is willing to uh, put his life on the line in order that uh, his dad may live by faith. He died on Mount Moriah. And you young people, if you want to be used of God tonight, you're going to have to come to the altar and lay on the altar and die to this world and die to yourself and die to your own ambitions and lay them on the altar and pick up the goals and ambitions of God. Now, I know everybody's not called to the gospel ministry. Not everyone's called to go to the mission field. Uh, somebody's got to stay home and work and support and, uh, the church and the ministry. I understand all of that. But we find that Abraham died on Mount Calvary. Or Isaac died on Mount Calvary. You know that a rose doesn't put forth its sweetest odor until it's crushed, until it has been put to death. I remember our first trip into Uganda some years ago. The Dimmers family was there now. Sister Dimmers is in heaven now. Uh, we went to visit with Brother Jeff and Emma. We had been there just for a short time and found out that they had, just a few weeks before we arrived, had been robbed at gunpoint. They broke into the home. They tied them up, held them hostage. They put their guns on them, threatened to kill them on numerous occasions. And 
They took the butt of their rifles and beat them and beat Sister Demaris to a bloody pulp. And when it was all said and done, they stayed where God called them. There were times in the Bible where Paul left when there was dangers. There were other times when Paul stayed through the danger. And the difference was God speaking to him and God leading him and God guiding him. It's not our tempers tonight that get us in trouble. It's not our sins. It's not, our, it's not other people's fault. It is most of the time our selfishness or self. In John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. If you want to be a soul winner tonight, at home or abroad or wherever you are, then the best place to start is by dying on the altar tonight. Dying to yourself and dying to the world. If you want to be a great missionary tonight, it starts at the altar by dying to the flesh. If you want to be a great man of God tonight, it starts by laying on the altar and dying to ourself. We've heard two great messages last night on the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his best. Are we? In an old churchyard, in a graveyard cemetery, is this epitaph. What I gave, that I have. What I kept, that I lost. Now I want to deal tonight just very briefly, and I'll not be but a few moments, and I'll try to, I'm just going to summarize this and bring it to a close. But I want to deal with another area tonight that I really felt the Lord wanted me to deal with in the life of Isaac. There's a lot of things that could be spoken of and covered in our Bible tonight, but I want to cover Rebecca in his life. You see, we find that Isaac was willing to wait on the will of God. We find that Eliezer was sent to find a wife. And he found Rebekah. And Eliezer said, I being in the way that the Lord hath led me. And so we find that in the providence of God, he brought Rebekah into his life. And I want to say this tonight, that there was no great man without a great woman. And I want to say tonight that every missionary and every evangelist and those that are here tonight, if God uses us at all, it is because we have a wife that is willing to sacrifice, a wife that is willing to go to the ends of the earth, a wife that is spiritual, a wife that is willing to sacrifice, a wife that will lay on the altar with the rest of us, a wife that is willing to travel thousands of miles on deputation, a wife that is willing to travel overseas to preach the gospel, a wife that is willing to sit through the difficulties and challenge of a pastorate, a wife that is willing to uh, sacrifice a husband uh, to be gone night after night after night after night in evangelism to be used of God. Rebecca was a stabilizing factor in his life. In fact, when it comes to Jacob and Esau, she had more insight than Isaac. You say, how's that? Because Isaac, keeping to Jewish tradition, 
culture was willing to give everything to Esau. But it wasn't the will of God. The will of God was Jacob. Many a ministry might have been saved and salvaged had we waited on God in his best. A missionary's wife is to be honored. Now I'm just going to ask you tonight, if you're here and you're a preacher's wife, missionary's wife, would you stand to your feet for just a moment tonight, very quickly? All the preachers, pastors, wives, just the wives, if you would, please. Look around the auditorium tonight. Look around the auditorium tonight. These are the Rebecca's to Isaac. These are, you ladies can be seated. These are those that are godly and that are dedicated to the Lord. God is so concerned about it that he's set very strict laws concerning marriage in the scriptures. We find that Solomon's marriage to the heathen wives corrupted his heart and destroyed Israel. We find that their rebellion against God and Samson's marriage of Delilah and getting involved with ungodly and an unholy marriage and union brought havoc and devastation upon his life. Let us hold our hearts, young people, for God's perfect will. Don't jump ahead. You that are young preachers here tonight and you that are young ladies and godly and want to be used of God and have the hand of God upon your life, hold yourself. Wait, I say, wait upon the Lord and let patience have her perfect work. I have a cousin. He's in heaven now. Many years ago, I would have been fasting and praying for quite some time for a wife for the ministry. And just in passing conversation one day, I said to him, I said, Ricky, help me pray. I'm fasting and praying that God would give me a godly mate for the ministry. He said, I know just the lady. He said, I even dated her one time. And I thought, well, if you date her, I don't know if I want anything to do with her. He said, her name's Peggy Ellis. And I said, really? He said, yeah, she's a godly young lady. I said, okay. I said, what's her last name? She told me, Peggy Carter. And uh, so it was sometime after that, um, a preacher called me. He said, we're having a, a youth meeting, and I'd like to have you come preach for us. I know you're a, a young preacher, and every month that has five Sundays in it, we let young preachers preach, and young people sing in the choir, young people do the specials, young people take up the offering. He was a brave pastor. And so he said, you can come preach for me. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole scenario and story tonight, but I tried to find a church and couldn't find it. He found out later, he told me if I memorize a gray church and end up being a, a green church or blue church and vice versa, and found out later he's colorblind. And so I couldn't find a church. It said way back off the road in a little strip mall in a little store, and in the providence of God, I found it. I was several minutes late, and when I walked in the door, Mrs. Ellis was playing the piano. Her family was gathered around it, and they were singing an old song, It's Different Now. And boy, was it ever different at that moment. I'm telling you, God said to me when I walked through that door, there she is. 
And I've said it many a times, but when I preach that night, I'm not sure, Brother Barnes, if I preach with a touch of heaven on me or not, probably not. You say, why? Because I was preaching to impress a young 16-year-old girl. And it worked. It worked. Thank God it worked. 43 years later, we got married on $75, and it's the best investment I've made in all of my years of life for 63 years. She's here tonight, and I don't want to embarrass her. But she is the prayingest person I know. She is the most giving person I know. And she is the most sacrificing person I know. My cousin married, and I want to be careful here because I'm assuming this will go on the internet. But he married a heathen. She rebelled, didn't want to do anything with ministry, constantly fought with him day and night, and he never did succeed in the ministry. In fact, in one day, he came down, was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, and died a miserable death, and she was more or less agitating and pressing and pushing for him to die. And he passed on and off the scene. You know why? He got ahead of God and it wrecked and ruined his life. You say, what does all that have to do with missions? Because if you want to be used of God tonight, you better wait on God and get the right mate. Through patience, Isaac waited on the Lord for God's best. Young man, young lady, it goes both ways. Wait on the Lord. I've just preached a meeting. I'll not even say the state. I was in a particular meeting. After a service, a man came to me and said, Brother Ellis, I really feel like the Lord wants me to talk to you. And I started to go, and I got caught by several people. He patiently waited. We asked the pastor, can we go into a room and visit? Because he said it's very, very private. We walked into that room, and instantly, just like that. That man exploded into tears. I didn't preach on infidelity. I didn't preach what didn't even come close to anything of that nature. And we I suppose we sat for minutes while he regained his composure. And he said, Brother Ellis, I'll not go through all the details. He said, I just, within the year, blew my testimony. I lost my ministry. I almost lost my wife. And I've devastated my children. He said, I have no idea why God wants me to tell you that, but he does. And as I was working, going through and studying on Isaac, it just seemed like the Holy Ghost of God said, you share with the church tonight what happened in that man's life. He said, I got impatient on God. 
outside of the Bible and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, the greatest characteristics we can have is patience, to just wait on God. Isaac's faith brought him through several trials in the scriptures, and I'm not going to go through those tonight. But I ask you this. He has tested through the wells of his father Abraham. The Philistines and others have come to him and asked him to leave. And you know what he does? Because he is a patient man, he is not a confrontational one. You know what he does? Rather than fighting, he just packs up and leaves and goes to the next city. He gets there and he's confronted again. You know what he does? He packs his bags and goes to another valley. He uncovers the wells and he's confronted again. He packs his bags. He doesn't confront them or anything. Uh, though he could, he could have laid rights to it because of his father Abraham and the well and the ownership. He just packs up and goes to another place. And when he gets there, God has blessed him through his patience to the point that the Philistines come to him and say, Look, we see that God's hand is on you, God's blessings upon you, and we desire peace of you, Isaac. We want peace with you. We see even the heathen saw the hand of God upon his life. Bible says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Will we not commit our lives to God? Will we not trust Him? I remember, and I'm trying to bring this to a close, I remember when our kids were with us for a while, uh, Mike, Victoria, Dixie, Landon, and uh, Annabelle, and they were getting ready to go to the Philippines, their first trip. And I remember we were at the airport in Atlanta. I was dropping them off one day and made a beeline to Knoxville to drop our son and daughter-in-law off to go to the Philippines as well. They flew out of Knoxville where Vic and him flew out of Atlanta. Now, I remember we got to the airport and I remember as we were standing there, they were going through the security and if you've ever been to the Atlanta International Airport, Hartsville Airport, you go down through the international terminal and you turn to the right and all the terminal's gates are down that way. And I remember we were standing there, and uh, they went through, and the scanners were up about yay high. And our children were, grandchildren were so small, you couldn't see them uh, once they hit the side of that scanner because they were too short. We were standing there, and we'd give them our hugs and goodbyes and kisses, and they had walked through that scanner. And I remember laying our hands on the womb when Victoria was conceived in the womb and dedicating her to God. I remember when Randy was conceived in the womb and, and we laid our hands on the womb and dedicated him to God. And I remember dedicating the grandchildren to God and they walked through that scanner and we couldn't see them. And all of a sudden, we saw the peak just from about the nose or the eyes up. Our little granddaughter, the oldest one, Dixie, she was jumping up over the top and saying, Bye, Nan and Papa, I love you! She'd jump up and she'd wave. And the tears were flowing and the heart was breaking. And all of a sudden, one of the TSA agents grabbed her by the hand, said something to Mike and Vic. Now, I'm assuming she got permission, drug her back through the security, back through the line, brought her to us, says, you guys have got to do something. We can't handle this. 
every single agent and passengers that was within sight, she said, was weeping profusely. She said, you've got to do something. And I remember we took little Dixie, and we hugged her in a group hug. And I said, Dixie, Papa would love more than anything to have you stay here with us. But God called you and your family to go to the Philippines. Dixie, God's got great things in store for you. Now be a young lady and go through that security and get to the Philippines. We prayed with her. She stuck them shoulders up, stiffened that back, walked right through the security screen. And they boarded and flew to the Philippines. And there were testings and trials and things that came along that tested our faith and tested our patience. But I want to say to you tonight, thank God for Isaac, who was a man of patience and waited through all of his life. He was not confrontational. And may I say to you tonight, missionaries that are here, be patient. Don't leave the field. Don't leave the pastorate, pastor. Get on the front line. Wait for the divine promise of God and be able to stand with patience in the end. I know the perfect will of God. And I want to close. Can I do this, preacher? Can I have the Reigns family to come and sing that song once again you sing right before the preaching? I thought about the disciples. They followed Jesus. And his teaching of discipleship. They followed him when he healed the leper. They followed him when he healed blind Bartimaeus. But when he went to Gethsemane in Calvary, they forsook him. Some are willing to go a little way, young people, with Jesus, but not all the way. The Bible says in Colossians 1.11, and I'm done. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks to God the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things that are to come. Through patience, end of his life God blessed him and he blessed his children and he committed them to the very covenant God had made with Abraham let me ask you tonight young people are you willing to wait on God don't get ahead of him wait wait be patient Don't run ahead of him. Don't lag behind. Wait. Our Father, bless tonight. Thank you for the message already been preached. Brother Sasser, what a tremendous message. Now help us tonight to 
patiently receive the inheritance of blessings that you promised us by faith. I ask in Christ's name. As young people are coming, as others would come tonight, why don't you come? Why don't you just lay your life on the altar and say, Lord, a patience, I'll wait. I'm in conferences nonstop. I don't pull everybody to Rock of Ages. Some I push toward Macedonia, Brother Cottle. Others I push toward Behamai, Brother Snyder and him. Others I pushed other directions over the years. It takes patience. You're going to have trials in your life. You better learn to be, just wait. You know why he was able to do it and wait till the end? I'm sorry, preacher, I don't want to drag this thing out. I can't get it off my heart. You know how he was able to withstand his trials? Because he had the promise of God to cling to. Friend, you better get a promise and cling to it. Because if you don't, you're going to wash out, you're going to wipe out, you're going to be gone. As they sing tonight, why don't you come?